Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, coming to you with the Puma. How are you, good sir? I'm good. I'm good. You know, just uh, living living the draft life. Um, not, not that enthused about what the Dolphins have done, but it is what it is at this point. But, you know, considering the how the draft shook out with life underneath the bubble life in quarantine i uh i thought i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i thought overall it was you know a good for what it was so i yeah. i enjoyed the whole draft process in itself how, how, how you doing on this glorious good. saturday i'm good i'm good i'm coming to you from my uh, recording studio aka my car which is good which gives you the best sound quality is this um, the merc or the or the stang uh, no, I'm in the Merc just because the insulation in here is so much better. But no, you're right. We're back for another episode, uh, episode number 52, which is the post-draft recap. Um, essentially, the way this podcast is going to shake out, myself and the Puma are going to bullshit for a quick second, and then we'll jump into giving you guys our impressions of the first round and then our winners and losers of the draft. Uh, but before all that happens, sir, how is quarantine life for you? For me personally... I'm getting a little way too comfortable and looking like a homeless bum all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's it's not that bad, man. It's not it's not that bad considering you know what what it is. It, you know we we're lucking out right now uh, with at least it's you know the where the weather's starting to get nicer. If if this was during the winter, it'd be ten times worse. But just doing just doing the honey do list, man. Like doing stuff around the house, trying to get prison workouts in in the garage, going. Going for walks, doing the Fitbit challenge with my fiance, and you know uh, I, I I've lost back to back weeks, but it wasn't for a lack of trying, and you know doing yard work, you know ho- good old homeowner life, and, and yeah, and cramming in there the the occasional Zoom happy hour session with with some folks from the six oh three, so getting oh, by. That's nice, yeah, man. I think one of the biggest issues for us in the Northeast is. The weather itself, uh, today's a nice day, but as you can tell as well, the last few days have just been horrendous. The last few weeks, actually, it'll be very dreary and rainy and cold. Like a couple of days ago, we actually had snow in the middle of April. It was 32 degrees when I went outside in the morning. And mm-hmm. I think that, compounded the fact that we have to stay inside and it's so shitty outside, is making everything worse for me. Like today, I'm in a better mood just because the weather is nicer. But the fact that we're 10 degrees below average for this time of the year and the weather pattern itself is very dreary is causing just extra levels of anxiety for me, you know? Yeah, well, you could have just did what I did yesterday, you know, after after the first round of the draft. I, I woke up, you know, mildly hungover uh, to the sound of the doorbell ringing from the the oil supplier for the house coming in to, to fix the boiler. And after that, it, it finally sunk in on what the Dolphins did in the first round and you know, it started downpouring and it was like, you know what? To hell with it. I'm just going to, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk and listen to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. And, you know, I'll just, just enjoy this, enjoy this moment. It's like that scene from You, Me, and Dupree where uh, Owen Wilson's character is, uh, is sitting on a park bench in a downpour. It's, yeah, that's, that's how I took it. That, that's my takeaway from the Dolphins in round one. Take, take how you felt and make it 10 times worse for me last night. When Bill Belichick decided to take a Division II player with the second-round pick for the Patriots, I, I I literally thought about you know, hey, is is life worth living at this point? You know, like it, it's already a pretty bad year. You know, it started out with Kobe dying, right? Then coronavirus hit. Then the best player in 
in franchise history for the Patriots to leave and the second best player to leave. And then Bill Belichick decides to take a Division II player. I, I was ready to call it a life. I was like, you know what? I've had a good life. Let's just end it right now. You know what? I'll take Duggar. I will take Duggar. I will take that man. You know what? Like, I... I, I was reading a little bit more, and I was checking out his his profile on NFL.com, and you know the scouting stuff, and and uh, Daniel Jeremiah, and you know he's one of the top guys, Bucky Brooks, and and Jim Nagy, he runs the Senior Bowl, and they all lauded the kid. I mean, it looks good. He can play. He can play center field. He can play in the box. You know, he can he can do a lot of different things in coverage, and you know, I I think it's just a, a that's a prototypical New England uh, build. Belichick pick right there so um, I'm not even a Patriots fan and like I like that pick I will trade you that pick <laughs> oh, yeah. who would you trade us for that you know what I'm saying? I don't know <laughs> I mean hey I mean the only pick the, the only pick I like for the Dolphins picks that I like for the Dolphins right now is the cornerback we took out of uh out of Auburn with our last uh pick in the first round uh that offensive lineman out of University of Louisiana Lafayette. I think his last name's Hunt. And uh, the fact that we traded a fifth round pick for Matt Breida. Beyond that, like I'm not that warm and fuzzy on on the draft so far for the Dolphins. So I mean, I'll take I'll take the Division Two guy. Yeah, this is really weird because one of my winners that I have on my on my winners and losers is the Dolphins, just because. I absolutely love what they did. I, I, I love the fact they took Tua. But we'll get into all that in a little bit. But before we get into that, we'll start, we'll start out with uh, just giving you a quick rundown of the top 10 picks in the draft and how it shook out. Um, for the most part, um, I think everything that uh, we kind of uh, talked about, how leading up to the draft, there might be all kinds of trades, all kinds of movements. It really didn't happen. It was kind of very, you know, methodical, kind of very chalk-ish in the draft. And just to kind of give you guys a quick rundown, with the first pick, the Cincinnati Bengals took Joe Burrow. Not a shocker. With the second pick, uh, the Washington Redskins took Chase Young. With the third pick, uh, the Detroit Lions took Ohio, uh, Ohio State cornerback Jeff Okuda. With the fourth pick, uh, the New York Giants took uh, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, offensive tackle. Uh, with the fifth pick, Tua was drafted by uh, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, with the sixth pick, Oregon, I'm sorry, Oregon quarterback went to the Chargers. With the seventh pick, um, the Panthers took Derek Brown, defensive tackle out of Auburn. With the eighth pick, this was a little bit of a shocker just because we thought uh, the Cardinals might go offensive tackle here to try to help out Kyler Murray, but they went with Isaiah Simmons. Um, but then again, the guy is absolutely freakish, so uh, no issues there. Uh, with the ninth pick, um, looks like CJ Anderson uh, from Florida, cornerback, went to the Jaguars. And with the tenth pick, um, the Browns helped out Breaker Mayfield with uh, Jedrick Willis Jr., offensive tackle out of Alabama. I, I think for the most part, and I think you would agree as well, everything kind of fell into a very chalkish kind of top 10, right? Yeah, I mean, everything was pretty chalkish. I mean, there were last-minute reports coming out that, you know, I think Florio pointed this out, that the Dolphins were going to do a um, like a godfather-like offer, an offer the Bengals couldn't refuse where – we're going to offer the third and the fifth overall pick if we could trade with uh, trade up with the Lions to get the third pick to to make a run at Joe Burrow at number one. But that, that never seemed the case. It, it looked like this was just a, the gigantic smokescreen Olympics from the Dolphins, which is something that they've never pulled off. But it kind of got interesting. A lot of people had Isaiah Simmons going to the Giants at four. 
Uh, they went with uh, my top tackle, Andrew Thomas. I would give my left arm for that guy. I'm the offensive line for me right now. And then uh, Isaiah Simmons was kind of a plot twist with uh, going down to to the desert, down to Arizona. So that was kind of interesting. But beyond that, everything else seemed seemed chalky. So yeah, and and I think the one thing that stood out that was a little bit I I uh, eyebrow raising kind of thing. It was uh, it was the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, had no idea what the fuck they were doing with Henry Ruggs so high, and then on top of that, taking a cornerback, uh, Damon Arnett, which is an Ohio State cornerback at number eighteen, I believe. And that's fine. I mean, I like I like Damon Arnett. I mean, he's an Ohio State guy, but I don't like him in the first round. I like him as second as second round talent uh, at the best. So I think that was one of those uh, eye raising kind of things. I was like, eh, I don't I don't really know that. And they're actually one of my losers. The Raiders are. So we'll discuss that later on. But I mean, for me, that was just very like, all right, Mike Mayak, this is the second year in a row you've done something. We're all like. Eh, don't really know about that yeah yeah i mean i have the i have the raiders as as my loser too um i didn't mind the rugs pick uh, he'll stretch the field he'll open up the underneath for whichever quarterback is under center whether that's Mariota or Carr, uh because neither one of those guys really pushed the ball down the field rugs could have like the the will fuller effect of you know dragging the defense down the field and you're going to open up the underneath for a hunter renfro or a darren waller or old man Jason Witten uh, coming into uh, into Las Vegas. But I'm with you, dude. That that pick for uh, for that cornerback, uh, Damon Arnett, uh, uh, you know, no disrespect to the player, but a lot of a lot of people like the Matt Millers of the world and the, uh, you know, J- Daniel Jeremiah's and the Bucky Brooks's, they they had this guy as a day two person. And I don't know why. They in this case they reached for a corner when they could have taken Gladney out of TCU. Diggs was still on the board. Diggs might be a steal. Uh, he went, I think, in the second round. Uh, and yep. they they reached for a guy that was second fiddle to to Okuda. And I, I think you were telling me this during the draft that this guy kind of disappeared at times on plays. So well, well listen, uh, if me being the biggest Ohio State home on the planet is telling you that is a horrific move for the Raiders, then that, that has some weight, right? Because I will obviously defend any Ohio State player, but any single time Jeff Okuda, our number one cornerback, had to go to the sideline for, you know, you know, looking at an injury or taking a breather, and Damon Arnett had to take the number one guy, I was scared. I was literally scared out of my mind because the kid does have raw talent, but he's so unpolished. I mean, the guy doesn't, you know, he's winning on, athleticism alone and now working on a technique and that's something in the nfl that just doesn't translate right and the right. nfl everybody's athletic it's all about your technique and unlike jeff akuda who's actually you know a master of his technique damon arnett was simply just out there you know winning on his athleticism and that's something that always scares me in the nfl game right and he's going to a defense that i think was like 23rd in pass defense and i just i don't see i don't see where the giant uptick is in in where this guy's going to come in and, and start shadowing people. So, uh, eat. no, I'm sorry. You could tell, you could tell which one was like an Al Davis type pick and which yep. one was Mike Mayock, NFL network, uh, you know, Clemson, Ohio state Homer kind of guy. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Cool. Uh, any other first round impressions you want to get to, or you want to jump right into the draft winners and losers? Uh, I guess draft winners and losers. Cause we're going to have a lot of overlap. So okay. let's, uh, let's see what's up. All right, so we have uh, we all went went in with uh, three draft winners and three draft losers. The first one being for me was actually the Dallas Cowboys. Um, first of all, 
Jerry Jones on a $250 million yacht drafting via, you know, Skype on his yacht is the most baller move of all time. I mean, that's some shit out of like, you know, an Austin Powers movie where the baddie's sitting on his yacht, you know, putting his master plan together. But besides that, uh, C.D. Lamb, he was the uh, number 17th pick in the first round. Um, and I personally thought C.D. Lamb was the best wide receiver in the draft, but he somehow fell to the third best, uh, to the third uh, wide receiver taking off the board. And I think that was an absolute steal for the Cowboys. That's going to be a loaded offensive unit with, you know, Zeke Elliott and, you know, um, what's the guy's, uh, I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, you got uh, Austin Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper, rather, and uh, Michael yeah, so Gallup. Amari Cooper, Ma- uh, Michael Gallup, and then that uh, Jarwin. Yeah, yeah, Blake Jarwin was the guy that I'm really high on as a tight end. But, I mean, that offensive unit right there is going to be absolutely brutal to, to match up against. Now, the second-round pick is where they really started shining, the Cowboys did, because Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback out of Alabama, somehow fell to 51, and that is an absolutely great pickup for those guys. Um, he's going to play Byron Jones. And then just to top it really all off, man, in the fourth round, they took uh, uh, Neville uh, Gilmore from Oklahoma, the defensive lineman, who is essentially the uh, the fourth-best defensive lineman, but they got him so uh, so late in, in the draft. So I think the Cowboys had a great draft, man. Uh, everybody's freaking out with how Jerry Jones and uh, his team was going to be drafting a part and thought Jerry's going to run wild. But for the most part, Jerry was fairly well, well in tune, and, and he did well for the, for the Cowboys. Yeah, no, I mean, I have the Cowboys as a, as a winner as well. Uh, I, I really like the Lamb pick. That was more of a, you know, sticking true to the board. I think he was probably the best player available still left on on their big board. And, and I feel like you, you can never have enough wide receivers in this league, especially someone talented like that and can really stretch the field out. And, you know, I think they made a concerted effort to to surround Dak Prescott with weapons. And I love the pick of Diggs in the secondary. He, he'll fill an immediate void left by by Byron Jones. And uh, he's a first-round talent that's a second-round that's a second round steal. Uh, yep. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm before, impressed. And before you get to your first uh, winner as well, uh, another uh, semi-winner is uh, Cliff Kingsbury because that dude has a swanky-ass pad. Yeah, he's got enough room to start working on his dance moves out there, dancing Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I think you. I'm I think impressed. you said it. Was, I think you said it was something out of Skyfall. You know. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, my first winner here is uh, is really it's Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos. Uh, they they surrounded Drew Locke with essentially a track team. They got Jerry Judy. He's fast. He runs crisp routes. And then they got KJ Hamler. I believe he's out of Penn State uh, to to add to a wide receiver core that's anchored by Cortland Sutton. And uh, and Noah Fant uh, at the tight end position, Uh, there's a lot of speed on the field. They're really going to be able to stretch things out. And with how crisp of a runner Jerry Judy is, you can line him up all over the field, have him do the underneath routes, drag the defense down the field. Uh, And it's going to be fun to see what uh, Drew Locke and – and uh, and Pat Shermer, the new offensive coordinator, are going to be able to to work with with these guys. And I'm uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the pick of Cushenberry out of LSU to solidify that offensive line. Uh, the offensive line was kind of a sieve at the beginning of the year. The last six weeks of the season, not only did Drew Locke come alive, but the offensive line improved a little bit too. I think he only got sacked like what was it three or four times over uh, a six-ish game stretch, uh, which. You know, yeah, six times is a lot, but considering the entire body of work, that's that's kind of an upgrade considering what the beginning of the part of the year looked like. So I think the Denver Broncos are a huge winner here out of the draft. Nice, nice. I, I agree with you. It looks like uh, 
Uh, John Elway is doing everything he can to throw as many weapons towards Drew Locke. Uh, looks like Drew Locke is their quarterback of the future, and they're riding with him. Um, best of luck because I don't buy into Drew Locke and that division now, especially with Patrick Mahomes and with his face, Justin Herbert. Uh, best of luck, Drew Locke. So we'll see how that pans out for those guys. Now, my second winner is, believe it or not, the Miami Dolphins. I actually really enjoyed everything that these guys did on draft night. Um, like I said, I am the biggest fan of two on the planet. I think he's the best quarterback in this draft, if healthy, which is obviously a big if. Now, if healthy is something we throw around as a negative, but we can say if healthy for everybody. I mean, for the, for the matter of fact that Tom Brady had a full season where he didn't play and Peyton Manning had a full, you know, neck surgery and we didn't have a season where he played. Like, if healthy is a big thing, I get it. But in the NFL game, obviously, there's risk of playing and getting hurt every single time. So uh, on top of that, I mean, Austin Jackson, I liked his, I liked that pick as well. And as you get down deeper into the draft, I really like that Robert Hunt pickup out of Louisiana Lafayette, the offensive lineman. Um, I know a while there they didn't really address the need of running back, and they kind of let a couple of running backs slip. But the fact they came back today and draft and traded for Matt Breida with their fifth-round pick, I think really solidified um, their draft for me. So I think the big winners, man, I know you're not the biggest fan of it just yet, um, but at least your team has a plan and they put it into action and they're executing it. It looks like the future, there's something to work towards. Um, and I'll be interested to see how Tua kind of pans out the next few years in Miami. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan. I, I don't really like the draft that we had, uh, like I said earlier, except for that pickup by the kid out of uh, UL Lafayette and then trading for Brita, the cornerback out of Auburn. But, I mean, yeah, Tua, Tua is a great talent, but let's consider the facts. He's throwing to two number one uh, first-round uh, draft picks in the wide receiver on offensive line that, you know, all along the line, they're, you know, first and second round talent. And the big comp for for Tua has always been, you know, he throws like Drew Brees, but he can run and he's mobile enough like Russell Wilson. Well, when Russell Wilson gets mobile and goes out of the pocket, he takes care of himself before he gets hit. Uh, Jim Nagy uh, pointed this out a lot, and I went back and checked the tape out too, that – you know, yeah, two is great, but whenever he gets hit, he always goes down in a keep, and he never he never protects himself. And it's not just like the laundry list of you know the two ankle surgeries and the hip surgery that you know the doctors feel comfortable about. But if you look at say Dennis Pitta's history, like yeah, the jury's still out. I'm not the biggest fan of you know the, just the the hip factor. I just have this image of you know it's week six next year because I don't think he's going to start any time uh, this season. And if they if he does start this season, uh, I would be pissed. I, I'm putting this guy in bubble wrap. But I just have an image of, you know, by week six of 2021, he gets hit and his hip shatters. Uh, there's common, uh, you know, common perception that he may be a candidate for a hip replacement. And I just feel like if that's the case, we've already been in quarterback hell for 20 years since Marino retired. And this could set us back another 10 if that happens. Um, the Austin Jackson pickup. Yeah, he's great. He's a raw talent. He's never played the right side. And with a left-handed quarterback, the right side of the line's a, a crucial, crucial aspect of things. Uh, if you're a first-round draft pick, I would much rather would have had them go Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia to play the blind side to protect Tua once he starts. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, all right. You're a second winner. Uh, believe it or not, the New York Jets. Uh, I actually liked what the Jets did in the draft. Uh, Joe Douglas's first draft as the general manager of the New York Jets. Um, he, uh, he went with Mekhi Becton, 
at number number eleven overall uh, to shore up the offensive line. Uh, he is a he could be a a huge boom or he could be a four hundred plus pound bust if he can't keep the weight down. Uh, but they addressed a critical need on the line uh, on the line. Uh, they had they had to protect Sam Darnold. Uh, Sam Darnold wasn't getting enough time to complete any passes down the field last year. He was a ragdoll back there. Uh, and it was a turnstile on the offensive line. Joe Douglas, he he was former, uh, I think he was one of the directors of player personnel for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he always had a good eye over there for for addressing the offensive line. I think he was there when they, uh, when they got Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Uh, and he, he brought that blueprint over to, uh, to Gotham City. And I love the pick of Mims uh, to, to show up that wide receiver core. Uh, they lost uh, Robbie Anderson to free agency. He took a shorter deal down to go down to Carolina. And they addressed the uh, critical need by having Mims and giving Sam Darnold another weapon to stretch the field out. Because you can't really rely on Quincy Numwa staying healthy. And yeah, they, they signed Rashard Perriman, but I feel like Mims might be the more crisper route runner, whereas Perriman is the, let me just drag everybody down the field. Like he was perfect in Bruce Arians' offense last year because everything was just streaks down the field for Jameis Winston. So I think I like that pickup of Mims. Uh, first round talent that fell to the second round just because of how deep the wide receiver class is. Yeah, this, this wide receiver class is super deep, man. Like uh, before I even jumped on the podcast, there were still people like, uh, like K.J. Hill out of Ohio State, who's the all-time leader in receptions at Ohio State, still on the board. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the best wide receiver in Michigan uh, history, he's still on the board as well. So it's it's a very deep, deep wide receiver draft. Now, my third and final winner, and this is a little bit off the uh, little beaten path here, but I'm going to give ESPN a huge shout-out. I think the way they went ahead and produced this show um, being remote um, for all of us to enjoy was just absolutely flawless. Everybody was waiting for them to fuck up and glitches and this and that bullshit. But in a time of need, when we needed, these guys came through in the clutch. And the numbers show that as well. Looks like America just absolutely loved the draft. Uh, looks like uh, 15.6 million people tuned in. Um, and looks like it was up 37% uh, in viewership from last year. Uh, additionally, a peak around 8.45 p.m. to 9 p.m. with 19.6 million people that tuned in to watch the NFL draft, which is an absolutely insane number. Um, I mean, for God's sake, the, M- the NBA Finals and MLB playoffs don't even get those numbers. So uh, in-, in a time where everybody's looking at ESPN and the NFL to fail, it looks like these guys came through and delivered an absolutely great performance. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with that sentiment as well, too. Uh, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that. And I have Roger Goodell as a winner in this draft. Um, I, I feel like the, the whole draft from home uh, kind of helped out Roger Goodell's, you know, view in the public eye. He kind of came off as, you know, one of everybody the first night he looked all nice and dapper. It was standing by the TV. It was waving at like the faux fans in the background and trying to get them to start booing him a little bit more. But I just loved how last night, I think it was halfway through the second round, he just started sitting on the couch. And then by round three, he just looked like he wanted to sit there and drink a scotch and, and just and just have a smoking jacket on. I, I feel like he was really one of uh, one of the people in, in that aspect of things. And, you know, like you said, and like I said earlier, I think considering the circumstances, this was the best that the draft was going to be. I could live with you know, the five bazillion little boxes with the ESPN personalities and the NFL network personalities sharing airtime and, and, you know, the, 
the pick always seemed to be in for 30 minutes before it was ever actually announced. But, you know, considering the times we're in, the little bit of sports shot into my veins, I'll, I'll take I'll take this for what it's worth. But I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, does that wrap up your winners as well? Yeah, yeah, that wraps up my winners. Uh, hopefully next year, if they have, if if we ever do another virtual draft, they'll just give they'll just give him they'll give Roger Goodell uh, a nice bottle of of Johnny Walker uh, Blue Label just to make the the TV aspect a little bit more fun. Yeah, because I know <laughs> last night me and you were skyping, we were watching the third round of the draft, and like it seems like every single pick that came in, Roger got more and more relaxed. At first, it was just like. Well, let me get closer to the chair in the corner. Let me sit down in the chair. Then it was like, let me just lay back in the chair. Like, I was fully expecting towards the end of round three for him to be, like, in his pajamas and brushing his teeth ready to, like, hit the bed, you know? Dude, he looked like he was ready for a nap. He's like, do I really have to read this shit anymore? <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I'm going to call I'm gonna call Bill Belichick and, uh, and, and get his dog to announce the picks for me here. And, and real quick, I got to shout out ESPN for getting – another shout out for them i should say for getting amazing video of billow the clown bill o'brien laying into some poor soul on the phone and then in a possibly a zoom a zoom chat uh right after they made their pick i think they drafted a linebacker in the second or third round whatever that video was caught but he looked like he was actually going scorched earth on whoever was on the other end of that call. Reports came out this morning. It was about a failed trade with the Detroit Lions. And then he tried to play it off today, being like, oh, we're, we're messing around in Zoom. And I was like, dude, you look like you're ready to fire some. But I, I didn't know if you were yelling at a staffer or if it was Billow the Clown, the coach, yelling at Billow the Clown, the general manager. I was dying the entire time. Yeah, and you bring up a better point, man. Like, the fact that it is virtually, it really gave us an inside look at some of these recruits and how they interact with their families and how how they interact when they're comfortable because anybody can be all tensed up and professional when you're sitting in a green room green room at the draft and you know you know the cameras are on you but when you're in your own house and the cameras are rolling for fucking four hours you're more relaxed so you get more kind of i guess genuine moments uh the one i love the most was the uh, twitter thing you sent me where oh yeah uh, the, guy, the guy was coming out of the bedroom with his shirt on and a chick walks right behind him like freshen up hair hair because they were definitely doing it in that bedroom. you know who that was <laughs> that was jacob eason yep jacob eason yep, yep. jacob I mean, eason was like listen back his stock might have fell but something else rose rose something <laughs> Well, he, Jacob Eason finally got drafted in the fifth round, which is day three, and this was last night. So I get it, man. It's been two long, stressful days. He was like, you know what? Let's just hit the bedroom real quick. Give me seven minutes. Seven and a half, I counted, but whatever. Seven and a half, I counted. <laughs> <laughs> I just love, like, nonchalant, like, just comes out, put the yep. shirt on. She's adjusting her hair. Mom and dad are on the couch. They're like, yeah, this Oblivious. is nothing new to us. Yeah. Well, they look oblivious, right? I mean, well, I think it wouldn't be that bad, like, if he just came out and put his shirt back on. But, like, the fact that the chick followed him and she was, like, all freshening her hair up in the background, it was absolutely hilarious. I was dying, oh, yeah. I was dying laughing. Oh, yeah. It was it was good stuff. Yeah, it was it was it was fun to see. It, it kind of gave us, like, a, you know, all the normal fans. Like, we're all used to doing fantasy football drafts virtually. It was kind of like a kid to that. And... Yeah, hey, let's do a fantasy football draft through Zoom or Microsoft Teams, Jay. It'll be a fun time. Mm, Shit talking through a video conference. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we, yeah, well, never mind. I was going to say something there about some hurt feelings, but we'll, we'll just let that slide. <laughs> uh, no, no, man, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're probably still crying. They probably won't be in the <laughs> 
So. Um. All right. So let's talk about some losers, man. I'm gonna make my first one very quick because we kind of touched on it earlier. The Raiders. Um. I think Mike Mayock looks a little foolish here. Uh. He decided to take rugs really high. Um. He decided to take uh Damon Arnett, a second round, second day guy with a 19th overall pick. I did not like those uh those uh, picks one bit. On top of that, in the third round with the 80th overall pick, they took some athlete who was like a running back, wide receiver, quarterback, uh, Lynn Bowden uh, out of Kentucky. Uh, and then right behind that, at the 81, they took another wide receiver, um, Brian Edwards, um, out of South Carolina. Um, I just don't like what they did. I don't, I don't think Mayak knows what he's doing, truthfully. Um, I know this draft compiled with the draft last year of taking Cleveland Farrell so high and him not really panning out. It makes people start looking at you sideways. And when you have a couple of incidents where people start looking at you sideways, then the, the heat gets turned on, then the pressure comes, and then eventually you're on the hot seat and you get fired. So... People are keeping an eye on you, Mike Mayock, and the decisions you made so far. And so far, they haven't really panned out. And this this draft alone kind of puts more fire to that uh, idea of you know what you're doing, really. Yeah, Jay, one more time. Who was the kid out of Kentucky, the the jack of all trades? That's running back, quarterback, water boy. Lane, he's he's running back, uh, wide receiver, quarterback, and they call him as an athlete. C minus grade, Kentucky, Lynn Bowden. Yeah, I don't like the Lynn Bowden. Okay, like you, you want to do a couple of gimmick plays. I, I can get that. But it's just like you, you can look at the, the pass catching core. You have Jason Witten. You now have Ruggs, which, I, I like I said earlier, I don't mind that pick at all that much. Um, you have Tyrell Williams that you just signed and you have to pay. Uh, you have Darren Waller that just got an extension. And then you have these two wide receivers, one out of Kentucky, the jack of all trades, and one out of, I think it was, what, South, South Carolina? Carolina? Brian it, Edwards, yeah. It's just like, where, where are you going to put all these guys? Like, who's well, getting cut? On top of Hunter Renfro, and I I don't know. Mike Mayock, well, well, I, I think, think, is on crack. I think, <laughs> I think those two back-to-back moves of essentially drafting a wide receiver kind of really threw, I threw my hands up in the air saying, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. Because if you look at it, that wide receiver, running back, combo guy, Lynn Bowden, like you already have stacked wide receivers and you took a wide receiver at 81 right behind Lynn Bowden. Uh, but then at running back as well, like you already have Josh Jacobs. Like, I mean, you already have a decent wide, uh, running back core as well. Like I don't understand what they're doing here with these back-to-back picks of, of wide receivers. So I, I truly believe Mike Mack doesn't know what he's doing anymore. Unless Bowden is going to be the one quarterback on the roster that's going to push the ball down the field. Yeah. The Raiders are one of, if not the, the biggest loser, you know, I'm not going to say they're the biggest loser. Because my biggest loser is the Chicago Bears. Or one of the biggest losers is the Bears. They didn't have a first-round draft pick this year because they they sent one to Vegas uh, in the Khalil Mack trade. So their first first time on the clock, uh, they were 43rd overall in the draft. They they picked the tight end, which under normal circumstances wouldn't be that bad. Cole Komet is a great tight end prospect, the top one this year, and a tight end pool that's pretty thin to be honest. But the issue is, is you already have 10 tight ends on the roster. Like, don't you, I'd much rather would have had them invest that 43rd overall pick into either an inside linebacker, uh, add a little bit more depth to the defensive line. Uh, Maybe you could get another wide receiver to pair with Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson. Uh, Tight end is like the last thing on my bullet point list. If I am Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears, I I didn't understand it. I, I don't get it. They kind of have uh, a spotty track record with tight ends in the freaking first place. So I, d- I don't understand this, uh, this move at all. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll agree with you over there, man. The, the Chicago Bears, like, seem like they really don't know what they're doing either, man. And on top of that, um, I saw a report this morning saying they might not pick up the 50-year option for Trubisky. Yeah, they um, haven't still made it to decide on that. So, like, what's the game plan there? Like, I, And I think that's the one thing that annoys me more than anything on the planet is when a team sits in the middle of the pack and doesn't know what they're doing. I understand your frustrations with your, with your Dolphins, but at least they have a plan. At least they're executing something. It might not be the right plan. It might be the wrong plan. I get it. But it's something. And it seems like Chicago is sitting in that spot right now where they're undecided on who Trubisky is, and it's too late in the game to figure out if he's your quarterback or not. Like, if you're having this conversation now, then you have bigger problems. You feel me? Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's like they're, they're kind of put in this weird position because, you know, they can't exactly just like go out and try to tank for you know punt the season and tank for trevor next year because they just traded i think like a couple of mid-round draft picks to jacksonville to get nick Foles. so you you have that guy's contract on the books you might not pick up you know mitch trubisky's you know extension or the fifth year option i i i don't know and i i'm not too sure how much of a leash Ryan Pace is going to have moving forward because he will forever be known as the guy that traded up from three to two in the 2017 draft to draft Mitchell Trubisky when you could have gotten, you know, Deshaun Watson or, um, or Patrick Mahomes in that draft. And really the Jacksonville Jaguars should be sending Ryan Pace a thank you card every year at the draft to, to remind them that like, Hey, we also took Leonard Fournette in that same draft over a quarterback and Christian McCaffrey, but you're taking all the heat for us because Mitchell Trubisky's that bad right now. So here's a thank you for taking the heat off of us. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, okay, my next loser, it's not a team, but it's our poor buddy Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, sitting up in his Malibu house is not happy about what transpired in round one. Um the Packers moved up a few spots to take quarterback Jordan Love out of uh, Utah State. Um, and if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I am absolutely insulted by this move. Um, Aaron Rodgers is still 36 years old. They went out and drafted his replacement. Um, on top of that, uh, it's not the fact that you drafted uh, you drafted Jordan Love. It's the fact that you provided no other help for Aaron Rodgers. And, and since 2005, uh, there's been, what, one skill player they've drafted to help out in the first round for for Aaron Rodgers, and that skill player is Jordan Love, and it's not going to help you at all. I mean, last year alone, the best the best uh, players on the offense for the Packers were Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, and this year, with the first two picks, they take a quarterback and a running back. It makes up absolutely no sense. So uh, Aaron Rodgers himself, I'm sure he's not happy about it. Um, he's only 36 years old. He's still got a good four or five years left in him, and if you're going to have somebody sit five years in the bench, what dif- what is that? I mean, that makes no sense to me. So for me, Aaron Rodgers, I feel like he's in a losing position. Right. I'm going to I'm going to come back to the Jordan Love pick in a sec. I'm going to get to my loser. Then I'll push back a little bit on the love aspect of things. But uh, I do have the Packers as a loser, but it's the rest of the draft after round two. Um, My issue is if if you want to look for the future and you want to secure the position and, and stability for possibly the next 15 to 20 years, if love is the guy you think he can become, then you can live in the now and get a wide receiver. I was thinking yesterday before round two and three kicked off that maybe they at least try to trade up in the second round to get a wide receiver. 
And then when I started seeing the run happen on wide receiver, I was like, okay, maybe, you know, Matt LaFleur and the general manager of the Packers are going to start picking up the phone and making trade offers to move up and get a wide receiver. And they stay pat. And in the, at the 62nd overall, uh, they, they snagged a, they snagged a wide receiver, uh, a running back, AJ Dillon, to mm-hmm. to add to a running back room that's already that already has Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and this kid out of Boston College, AJ Dillon. I mean, he's a thick dude. He'll run between the tackles. He'll be a thumper. I know Matt Lafleur mentioned he would like three running backs uh, in uh, on the roster, but if you want to, you know, have your cake and eat it too, you might as well gotten a wide receiver there. And then they come back in the third round and they take a tight end out of Cincinnati, uh, Josea uh, Degura, which looking at the tape, you know, it's it's all right. It's good for a third round prospect. Uh, He can stretch the field. He he can run all, you know, run up the seam. He can kind of be used all over the place. So I don't know if this guy is going to be, you know, Matt LaFleur's Debo Samuel because LaFleur comes from like the Kyle Shanahan Sean McVay tree of coaching, but I I'm with you that if I'm Rogers, I'd be pissed about not getting a running, uh, a wide receiver to help me out with the now, but I don't mind the Jordan love pick at all to, to plan for the future. Um, I know there were reports that came out from Albert Breer this morning saying that the Seahawks and the Ravens were kicking the tires on drafting a quarterback in the first round. And the only logical one left Uh, that was best uh, on the board was Jordan Love. And it it came 15 years to the day when the Packers drafted Favre's replacement in Aaron Rodgers. So I I don't mind the pick at all. I would rather, if I'm a Packers fan, I would rather them kind of plan for the future. Because, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is 36. He says he wants to play till he's 40, 45. But – that's no guarantee. I mean, he could he could fall off a cliff. He could come out look like Ben Roethlisberger, who looks like he's about to keel over at 38. Not everybody's going to age like Drew Brees and and Tom Brady. And you know, he's been dinged up the last couple of years. The production has kind of trailed off at times. And you know, if if Jordan Love is the guy that you think can bridge the gap for the next 15 to 20 years, and he's the best prospect you have left on your board then stay true to the board and just do it. Because I can't even remember how often the Packers have had a top 10 pick. Like you can't plan on getting a top quarterback prospect in the draft, say next year or the year after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, who's your, uh, who's your second loser? Uh, my, well, I had oh, the, oh, it's, oh, it's the, yeah, it's the Packers. Yeah. Yeah. So it yeah. gets us back to me. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, Oh, here we go. Here's my uh, Google app crashing, and those are my notes. So give me two seconds while we work through the technical difficulties, and we're back. Okay, finally. My last uh, my last loser, and uh, it's hard for me to say this, but my New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. Um, the only positive of this draft was the fact that Belichick has a very cute dog by the name of Nike. I mean, he became an overnight sensation. I saw Nike all over the place. However, the draft itself. We had the 23rd overall pick, and he decides to trade out of that, out of the first round pick, and go down and get more draft capital, which is totally fine. However, with that second pick, he takes Kyler Duggar, a Division II safety, who wasn't good enough to play in Division I, but had to go to Division II, while there was great safety talent sitting right behind us. And three picks later, Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU on a national championship team, went to the Brownies, right? 
And that's just the beginning of it. After that, he decides to go on and draft a bunch of C and B players. Uh, and Anfari Jennings, the Bama linebacker, C-plus grade by CBS Sports. Tight end Dalton Keene, Virginia Tech, C-plus grade out of, uh, from CBS Sports. The only, maybe the only exciting player I can kind of hedge my bets on is uh, tight end Devin Asiasi out of UCLA with a B grade. But other than that, absolutely nothing that Belichick did excited me or uh, it looks like it could help out the team in the future. Now, I know I'm saying this now before the season even started, but I know what he's doing. He's making very aggressive moves, and I, that's fine because that's what he's done the last 20 years. But when you have Tom Brady on your team, you can afford the aggressiveness. Uh, Tom Brady will cover up a lot of your mistakes. Howard Jarrett Stidham, is he going to give you that aggressive? Is he going to give you those wins that you need uh, to be this aggressive in the draft? I don't think he will. So looking at what Belichick did, man, I, I, I've already been on the fence with the guy, especially how he ran Brady and Gronk out of town. Um, Bill Belichick, to me, is turning more to Jerry Krause um, than the great Belichick that we know. Um, I mean, if you look at it, this story's coming out that three years ago, he wanted to move off of Gronk and send Gronk to the Lions when we won, like, two more Super Bowls after that. So, like, You would have got two first-round picks. The guy had back injuries at the time, too. But we got two Super Bowls out of it. That's the end game. That's what you want to happen, right? But Belichick is known more for getting rid of a guy – a year early than a year too late. And I'm sorry, man. Like, name me a general manager that if you're getting an offer for two first-round draft picks, you're, like, you're not going to say that. You're not going to say yes to that. Especially when, you, when the guy when, was already when, mulling, when, when mulling retirement. Works, when it works out that you went to more Super Bowls after that, then, yeah, of course it's wrong. How do you know those two first-rounds will get you back to the Super Bowl? Like, that's the thing about Belichick, and everybody wants to move off people and run Brady out of town is because they can find somebody else and plug them in. But you don't know that. Before Belcher got to the Patriots, he was a below 500 coach. He was 41 and 57. How do we know he's going to go back to winning Super Bowls? That's not guaranteed. All we can go off is what's on the record. And the record shows that before Belichick came and got Tom Brady, he was a below 500 coach. So in my eyes, the way I see this guy, the way I see all this panning out, I I will, for the first time in my life, tell you, Brandon, that I agree with you on something, and I will retract something that was wrong. Me and you have had this argument for about two years now how GMs should be, should, uh, should be put into play to keep uh, head coaches, uh, head coaches uh, in check. And my argument's always been, well, if you have a GM in play, then, you know, the, the, uh, the actual – there's too many cooks in the kitchen, right? However, what, what, what's happened with Malone the last four or five years and how he's trying to force Brady out and then went and taking a Division II player, I will agree with you. We need a fucking GM that can rein in Belichick, and now it's too late. You can't go backwards and rein Belichick in now. He's going to do whatever he wants, but I will agree with you. If we had a GM, maybe these dumbass moves weren't being made. Well, you have Nick Casario there, too, but... Oh, yeah, like he's, like he's going to say something to Belichick. Come on. No, but, like, but Jay, like, here's the thing. The, the youngest player on that defense, I think it's Stephon Gilmore at 29. Patrick Chung is going to be, I think, 33. Uh, McCordy is going to be in his mid-30s as well, too. You know, he's always – he's a defensive-minded coach. He's going to get these versatile guys to fill these holes that are coming up. And a lot of these guys, especially that Division II guy, uh, is is ready to play now. I mean, this guy is, is super versatile. All these guys are, are lauding him. And a guy that uh, – a coach that used to be under Belichick's, uh, you know, wing in Matt Patricia was the head coach of 
the uh, one of the teams at the Senior Bowl, and I think this Duggar kid was actually on his roster for that Senior Bowl. And I'm pretty sure Belichick was probably talking to Patricia at some point, or the Patriot scouts were rubbing elbows with the Detroit Lions guys, getting insight, and that's why Delpit went over. Now, my my question for you is this. Is your issue with the fact that, like, would you have a problem with Duggar if he went to a Division One school? Uh, it, like, is no, it just no, the my, school my, factor? My thing, my thing is, he and I, that's an overreach. I, I truly believe Duggar's not a round two guy. Like, I, I believe you can find Duggar later on. in the If you're going to take a Division two guy, you can wait till maybe day three or maybe end of round three. You don't have to take him at, at as a second round with your first pick in this draft. Like, you got you got premier talent. And a guy that I absolutely love with Grant Delpit, because I've watched him uh, for the last three years at LSU just tear it up. Like, I mean, I, I just can't justify it. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why people end up in Division Two. It's because you don't have the talent to be in Division One athletics. Like, I, I don't understand how that's so hard to wrap your mind around. The better players, as they come out of high school, go to Division One, and then people that suck go to Division Two to work on their fundamentals and hopefully become somebody great someday. But you can you could have taken them later on. You could have taken yeah. a better talent than them. Yeah, but Jay, he's at the Senior Bowl and he's at the Combine. He's competing against Division One talent, and he is balling out in front of these scouts and coaches that are attending there. And one of the guys that also used to be a scout for the Seattle Seahawks and uh, the New England Patriots and Jim Nagy was running the, the Senior Bowl. So if if he's balling out against these Division One talent people that got invited down to Mobile. I have no problem with the, the the pick. I'm not even a Pats fan, and I saw that, and I saw his highlights and the tape and in the, the breakdown. Like a lot Fun, of fans, I was watching. I was watching his tape, and it was high school footage essentially. It was like it was obviously at his college. Where I can't, I don't know what his college is in Division Two, but it was not even like a legit, like you know, like. Did you like see the film. senior like, highlights? It was, like, it was like high school shit. And furthermore, man, I, I will fully agree with you here. I think with everything that's happened over the last few years, if we had a GM put GM put into play in New England that didn't let Belichick run wild, I still think this team would be rebuilding on the fly and still having a chance to win more championships. Uh, essentially, what Tampa Bay is doing is surrounding Brady with amazing talent. Why couldn't that be New England? Like, why well, why did it get so bad? Why did it get so bad right now for us that uh, the, the the GM that is Belichick drafting? That we had one of the oldest rosters on the planet, and on top of that, like you know, our sidecar. Because you wanted to win like, Super Bowls. How, how did how did we get to such a bad spot? Because um, you wanted so to win Super Bowls. I, I I will agree with you, Brandon. You got me, man. I will never argue with the with you ever again that you a GM is definitely needed. Because I will agree with you, a GM is definitely needed to rein some of these dumbass fucking decisions that these coaches make. Well, and, and and Belichick, I will say this. This is my final thing on him, dude. It's on you, brother, man. You were under 500 before you got Brady, and you wanted him to be gone ASAP, and now he is. So let's see what you got, man. But, Jay, like, you you say, like, you, you push back when I mention any journal manager that gets an offer for two number ones for Rob Gronkowski, who has been injury-plagued, and I think he was coming off an injury at the time when they tried to trade him uh, for two first-rounders. You say, no, you want to win Super Bowls. But when you keep the, the band together – and you continue to win Super Bowls, and then it goes a little long. You say, "Well, why didn't you adjust on the fly?" Like, what in your in your opinion? Because, what is the happening? Because, because I was told, I was told for twenty years, and I said this last week as well. Belichick is such a genius that he does not rebuild; he reloads on the fly. So people people took this slight, and this is my biggest problem with Belichick: this slight against Tom Brady that 
players aren't uh, in the NFL. It's not about the players. It's about it's about the coaches. And I and I will push back on that 100%. It's all about the players on the field. And I was always told that Belichick is such a genius that he just reloads, but he doesn't rebuild. So now what? So now you're telling me we're in a full-on rebuild? How can that be when he's such a genius? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're tanking for Trevor next year, getting a quarterback like that. Or maybe they – and I said this last night – when they didn't take a quarterback in the, the end of the second or the third round. And I don't even think they've taken a quarterback up until this point on Saturday at 5 o'clock. No, no, we, um, took a kick, we took a kicker in the fifth round. That's part of a neo-Nazi fucking uh, third, whatever, they, whatever you call that uh, that party. But if they, if they either, one, they believe in Jared Stidham enough that they want to have him get first crack at being the starter. And if not, they'll go to Brian Hoyer. Or I think the contempt, uh, compensatory draft pick formula ends – I think today, because uh, the draft is over today, they can sign a, a free agent like a Cam Newton or a Jameis Winston, and it won't factor in the contempt, uh, compensatory draft pick formula. That could be the end game too. Or it could be that Stidham has been in that building long enough and given the, the current environment that we have where there's not going to be an offseason program, that they're hedging their bets on people that know the system enough to get through it with like a Brian Hoyer or a Jared Stidham. Belichick might not have liked the, the quarterback class this year. He might be punting and going to Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I mean, I don't see that team tanking anytime soon, but I, uh, I don't mind the Duggar pick. I'm not a Pats fan. I don't mind it. The Michigan, the Michigan pick, uh, the linebacker, that makes sense to me as well, too. I just, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say uh, it, with, with the, the pushback of, you know, you run people out of town, but when you get an offer for draft picks, you say no, but you won Super Bowls. Like the, how many, how many Super Bowls has this team won with that band together? And yes, Jason Light in Tampa Bay is, you know, trading draft picks and trading up and getting this talent on a crackhead level, but that's because Jason Light was on the hot seat. They didn't know if he was going to have a job last year uh, before the season kicked off because of how bad the drafts have been, how bad Jameis Winston's been, the fan attendance was down at the time, and now he's just saying, damn the torpedoes. You know, I have Bruce Arians, who's 60-plus years old and has health issues, and I, I want to win one for B.A., and we're just going to throw everything against the wall for the next two years and see what happens. It's the same thing that happened to Denver. And then they won those Super Bowls with uh, with Peyton Manning. And then the team kind of was in quarterback hell for a while. They had the, the Paxton Lynch experiment for a minute. They had the Brock Osweiler cup of coffee. And then they sent him along. And you had Joe Flacco, an insert quarterback here. And they think they have a bookend at, at Drew Locke. You know, in the short term, the win now and, you know, everything that Tampa Bay's doing is going to work, but it, how long is that going to set the franchise back, especially when you're hedging your bets on a 31-year-old tight end that's been out of football for a year with a, a chronic back issues? And let's be honest, a quarterback that's going into his age 44 season, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to say. All I'm saying is I will agree with you. Uh, we need a fucking GM in, in New England, and we need somebody running in Belichick. Oh, uh, boy. Never thought I would say I'm Camp Billy boy. <laughs> You're right. You're right. He he'll need, he needs a GM. So does Belichick. We'll see. We'll see. What do you – what do you – I know – what was it? Caesar set the over-under at what, eight and a half? Yeah, it's pretty low. It's uh, – I mean, 
uh, is it eight and a half or seven and a half? Regardless, it's, it's pretty bad. It's not the twelve eleven wins that we're used to up in New England every year. Eh, I'll go with the. Uh, I'll go with the. I feel like that's about right. You know, I'll go nine wins. I'll go. I'll go nine wins because at least the defense is still there. If, um, if we get to ten wins, that's a fucking miracle. I mean. I don't know. They haven't released the schedule yet, so it's like hard to guesstimate and look at look at the talent. But like, I don't know. I could buy a nine win a nine win season as the floor for this team, especially because they didn't trade Joe Joe Tooney. They you know Isaiah Wynn, in theory will will be back and healthy. Yeah, oh, I've given up on Isaiah this Wynn. Year. The guy the guy can't seem to keep healthy. It's been two years in a row now. Like, I mean, how much more are you going to give the guy? But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they, they still have that offensive line intact. Depth is still a question. I don't know what they did the re- for the rest of the draft this uh, this year after after the third round yesterday. I didn't really oh, we watch took, it today. We took a, we took a neo-Nazi uh, supporting kicker in the fifth round. Awesome. That's mm-hmm. great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Over a quarterback. At least you didn't get Jake Fromm, though, so it's oh, fine. Oh, if it was Jake Fromm, oh, I wouldn't have done the podcast today. I would have been so mad. I would have done the podcast today. I'd be like, let's just wait till tomorrow, bro. I need 24 hours to digest this. <laughs> because Jake Fromm is, in my eyes, the one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. A guy that held back a Georgia team that was very talented. And on top of that, that Georgia staff let Justin Fields walk, right? And Justin Fields is going to be a first-round draft pick uh, next year. And Jake Fromm was a fifth-round draft pick this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Jared Stidham, we trusted. I don't know. A couple of people, a couple of people think he might surprise some folks. So, hey, the jury's still out. We'll see. But beyond that, you have any last words, Jay? I do not. No, sir. All right, sweet. So, plug it up time. So, this podcast can be uh, found on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher under a Pro Football Radio Podcast. Uh, hit that subscribe button and uh, like, download, subscribe, share with your friends, share with your colleagues, share with your family. We're all under a bubble. We'll give you something to, something good to, to listen to. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast. Twitter at PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Brando underscore Puma. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. And we'll provide a couple other reactions uh, to the draft later on after I look at the uh, the rest of the rounds for the Miami Dolphins. And uh, we'll go from there. But uh, otherwise, that's all I got for the plug it up section. So so the Packers, um, there's been 31 31- Wide receivers taken a draft so far, and this is as of two minutes ago. None by the Packers. <laughs> this is uh, this is fine. You know what though? But like again, I don't mind the Jordan Love pick. I actually love the Love picks, so I'm the psycho that thinks it's gonna work out. All right, well that's all I got, man. All right, everybody, stay safe, stay inside. The sooner we get over this, the better off we'll be. Otherwise, via Condios.